Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 149 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story, patients who suffer mild cases of COVID-19 or have the virus without showing symptoms may think they got off easy. But we're learning now that even those people can suffer serious, long-lasting consequences from the virus. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. The U.S. is watching New York closely, as it's the last large school district in the country to say it will send students back to school this fall. Today, Governor Andrew Cuomo confirmed that, based on infection rates around the state, every school district can reopen in September. Governor Cuomo said every region in the state falls below the 3% infection rate threshold that had been established. He also said school openings would be revisited if infection rates spiked. Thailand will allow schools to fully reopen starting next Thursday. The Southeast Asian nation has not had a locally transmitted case for more than two months. All schools will be allowed to function without any capacity limits or social distancing rules according to the education minister. Finally, in India, the country's all-female army of contact tracers is going on strike. Months of harassment, low pay, and lack of protection from infection has pushed them to the breaking point. About 600,000 of the country's one million accredited social health activists will strike today and tomorrow. They want better and on-time pay, as well as a legal status that ensures minimum wages. Losing the Ashas would not only threaten India's virus containment effort, but also impact the other essential health services they provide, from child vaccinations to tuberculosis control. The country's catastrophic coronavirus outbreak is now the third largest in the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. And now for today's main story. The coronavirus has been spreading worldwide for over seven months now. And more than 18 million people are known to have been infected by it. 
Over that time, we've come to understand that in most people, the virus causes mild symptoms, or none at all, at least at the time they have the virus. But even asymptomatic patients may suffer lingering effects. It's yet another of the pandemic's mysteries. Bloomberg senior editor Jason Gale explains it may contribute to the pandemic's significant long-term social and economic costs. First was like typical flu-like syndrome, but no shortage of breath. Particularly, it was fever and extreme fatigue, basically. Dr. Peter Piot is one of our generation's most celebrated microbiologists. In the mid-1970s, he was part of the team that isolated the Ebola virus and helped control the first outbreak in what was then Zaire. Later, he helped lead the fight against AIDS as president of the International AIDS Society and executive director of UNAIDS. For almost a decade, Peter has been director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So it was big news when he needed to be hospitalised for COVID-19 almost five months ago. And that was uh, ironically after having spent most of my professional life fighting viruses. It was the first time ever I got seriously ill because my situation deteriorated. I was admitted to the hospital with my oxygen saturation was like uh, 83% on admission. And thanks to oxygen, I made it through seven days there. Peter is speaking in an interview with the New England Journal of Medicine. He told the journal last week that he developed pneumonia complicated by an aberrant hyperinflammatory response to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And it illustrated that uh, COVID-19 is far more than either you have a bit of the flu or you end up in intensive care and you can die. And then they often say, oh, that's people who are over 70 and uh, or with pre-existing conditions as if we don't count. No, there are lots of people in between with this uh, chronic condition and this long tail of, in my case, pneumonia, of atrial fibrillation, extreme tachycardia all the time. Peter had an irregular and often rapid heart rate that persisted for months after his acute illness. He's 71 and he managed a five-kilometre jog the morning he was interviewed. Even still, Peter gets fatigued. He says the ordeal changed his perspective on viruses, particularly SARS-CoV-2. Well, first of all, it's something to avoid at all costs. I mean, it's a bit of a lottery uh, in a sense, whether you'll develop a, an asymptomatic infection or serious illness like what I had. Uh, of course, there are risk factors, being old, having diabetes, hypertension, but I didn't have any of these underlying factors. And even young people today can die from it. There are many more and more examples, and that's particularly important to realize now that a lot of the infections are happening in young people. And the scientific evidence suggests a proportion of these patients may endure decades of chronic diseases. Doctors refer to these conditions as sequelae. When these persist in younger patients, the impact on society is much larger because people have to live longer with their disabling effects. The physician who treated UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson called COVID-19 this generation's polio because of the physical, cognitive and psychological disability the illness will leave, requiring long-term health care. I think we will be faced as a medical community also with probably soon hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people ultimately, with uh, chronic conditions, with uh, long-term sequelae. And I think it's important that we are prepared for the the fallout of chronic illness, mental health issues. And of course, in my particular case, I'm double motivated to defeat this epidemic. 
The coronavirus targets cells lining the airway, sometimes triggering an overzealous immune response, like what Peter Piot experienced. That can weaken the muscles used for breathing and cause scarring in the lungs of patients who experience even a mild bout of COVID-19. The question is, how will that affect lung capacity over the long term? And what other lasting disabilities will COVID-19 survivors face? Dr. Thomas File is president of the Infectious Diseases Society of America. He says we can look for clues among people who were sickened by severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS, almost 20 years ago. We do know from studies uh, about that infection that people who have had um, particularly lung scarring uh, from uh, SARS that they can have uh, persistent uh, symptoms for years. And I'm aware of even one study that uh, looked at 15 years later and some of these patients still had abnormalities uh, of their lungs. And so uh, this is something that we're gonna have to watch closely, but I think we're already seeing it. Uh, we're seeing effects uh, on the lungs, we're seeing the effects on the heart, on the neuro- neurologic system the emotional system, psychological system. So this is going to have, uh, I think, a significant burden on our healthcare system for years to come. In Wuhan, the Chinese city where SARS-CoV-2 emerged late last year, more than a third of severe COVID-19 patients had complications, such as stroke, acute kidney injury, and post-traumatic stress disorder. As the pandemic spread across the world, doctors have reported similar problems. For example, one centre in Italy found that almost 9 out of 10 patients reported the persistence of at least one symptom some 60 days later. They looked at patients who had all been hospitalised, so these were all fairly sick patients, uh, and they found that literally 87% of these patients still had significant symptoms, multiple symptoms, quite honestly, two months later after their onset of symptoms, even after they were uh, discharged uh, from the hospital. Thomas says post-traumatic stress disorder could be another disturbing product of the pandemic. Uh, They're already beginning to see some patients uh, who have been released from the hospital, and and some patients, quite honestly, who uh, never were sick enough to come in the hospital, but yet it really concerns them about what's happening with uh, their uh, long-term health status. We do know that it can affect uh, the brain, for example, and it can have neurocognitive uh, considerations. And, and so I think post-traumatic stress uh, disorder is going to be an issue that the psychologists, psychologists are going to have to deal with. Thomas's heart problems may also manifest. There was a recent study showing that there's this uh, stress-associated uh, heart issue uh, where patients coming in with looks like heart attacks But when they do coronary artery um, angiograms, they really don't see particular occluded coronary arteries, but yet they do have heart damage. And so there is this issue uh, about the psychological issue and the stress, mental stress, that can be associated with the uh, sort of physical findings. The CDC two weeks ago published a survey of 270 non-hospitalised adults who tested positive for COVID. About a third of them said they hadn't returned to their normal health two to three weeks later. Among 18 to 34-year-olds with no chronic medical conditions, one in five went back to normal. The authors of the report said that in contrast, over 90% of our patients with influenza recover within about two weeks of testing positive for flu. A COVID symptom study, which has gathered data from millions of people in the US, UK and Sweden, suggests 10% to 15% of people, including some mild cases, don't recover quickly. We're beginning to become aware 
of increasing percentage of patients who have had symptoms and even who are asymptomatic, quite honestly, who may have long-term health issues. And certainly this seems to be much different than other respiratory viruses. The fact that people who have no apparent COVID-19 symptoms can still have health problems highlights the insidious nature of SARS-CoV-2. There's two studies now that have come out to show that patients who have had even asymptomatic infection, and these were patients who were identified either through contact tracing, and then the other group uh, are patients who had come from cruise lines or cruise ships and were quarantined for a while and were tested but never developed symptoms. And a group of them um, did studies, imaging studies of their lung and found scarring on their lungs. This could mean that they're going to have some decreased lung function, which may not be sort of physically evident now because they have good lung capacity. But as they get older, or if they have other conditions, asthma or whatever, it could be a a significant consequences down the line. Uh, So this is going to be an issue. It's almost five months since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. We have no effective treatment, no vaccine, and we're still yet to fully understand the prognosis. The global contagion's immediate threat is obvious, but the one we can't yet fathom might turn out to be just as catastrophic. That was Jason Gale. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gospure, Magnus Hendrickson, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Jason Gale. Special thanks to the New England Journal of Medicine. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.